That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By. And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to yet another win for the Denver Nuggets. The beat goes on. This is now their fourth win in a row. Eight of their last nine. They roll to 30 and four at home. Are you freaking kidding me? This latest W by way of the Toronto Raptors, 118 to 113 in a game that for me on the whole, uh, just being completely honest, largely unimpressive. Uh, from a spirit and competitive standpoint for most of the game. Um, Now, was there bright spots individually within the game Uh, in terms of Michael Porter Jr., uh, Jamal Murray, uh, Reggie Jackson, maybe for the first time as a Denver Nugget? Yes, but on the whole, um, this didn't really look like a team that was up to play this basketball game. They had been off for a couple days uh, since that win over Memphis, and you got a couple days off, you're back at home, and for whatever reason, they just were largely sluggish for uh, huge stretches of the basketball game. Um, but when it mattered most, and that was crunch time, and that was winning time, they pulled it out. And this is almost a, a sign of a, a potentially great basketball team. Potentially. That you can come out and be lacking a competitive spirit, lacking an enthusiasm uh, for for being out there. And the Raptors are the wrong team to play, by the way, in that regard, because it seems like, at least when I watch them anecdotally, they play with incredible um, uh, competitiveness and just spirit in general. Um, So I wasn't impressed with the Nuggets from that regard, but the fact that they came out like that and were missing that in their approach, and they were to enact what I call dad strength. Like dad strength, that like, you know, the the uh, the son may be in the weight room and feeling his oats and uh, be one of the stronger guys in the class, yet when it's time to, you know, wrestle dad, there's still a gear uh, that the son is missing, even though he might technically be able to lift more weights uh, than, than dad, there's that dad strength. So in a game where the Nuggets trailed almost the entirety of it, I mean, seriously, like if you were to, and, and I'm not looking at the stats right now for um you know how uh um uh, like their lead time in the game was it 4 minutes was it 5 minutes um it wasn't a lot it wasn't a lot they trailed nearly wire to wire but again when it mattered most down the stretch of the game their clutch defense okay their um uh shot making and then also uh they got a break uh from the official Scott Foster uh down the stretch so which, by the way, I'm not going to dwell on a lot. Um, did the the Denver Nuggets, like, for once get a favorable whistle? Yeah, they did. On the whole, the Nuggets are usually not the recipient of that whistle. Um, I think the, the, the deeper analytics will say that the uh, Denver Nuggets have been treated among the most unkind uh, teams in the National Basketball Association. So, And, we, and we've had the rule for years here. We're not going to come on here and, and talk about the officials a lot. Um, we've had that rule for years and years and years. The Nuggets made um, 20 winning plays down the stretch of that game. That's why they won. 
Uh, did Scott Foster play a, a small role in it? Sure. Um, but again, that's not why uh, the Nuggets crossed the finish line. So um, they go to 30-4 and four at home. This is unequivocally now the best home team in the NBA. It's, it's really not that close. In fact, and I tweeted this last night, the tallest task in NBA basketball is going into Denver, Colorado, going a mile high and beating the Nuggets in Denver. That is the tallest task in the NBA right now because you see the Nuggets are 30 and 4. We do not have a a 29 win home team. Guys, we don't have a 28 win home team. The Nuggets stand alone unequivocally the best home team in the NBA and this is why you love this is why you love 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 the fact that they are a now whopping 7 games up on the Memphis Grizzlies after not only um, Monday night, but beating the the Grizzlies uh, on Friday night on national TV, in which was just a nuclear explosion in the second half of that game. I think the Nuggets outscored the the Grizz 63-39, I want to say, in the second half of that game uh, this past weekend. So you have a monster cushion as the one seed. In fact, the largest, and we've talked about this, but the largest gap between any seed, like going down to, um, actually, the largest gap between any Western Conference team, going back to, going all the way down to the, the basement of it, the Rockets to the Spurs, the Spurs to the Thunder, um, I, no, excuse me. The Thunder to the Spurs is actually a larger gap. So I guess the largest slotting, the largest gap of any slotting in the Western Conference playoff picture, I guess we could fairly say, is the one to the two seed. So the cushion is so real for Denver. They can actually afford to have um, a couple of hiccups stumble a little bit. And that's what I thought was going to happen on, on Monday night. I mean, I just kind of one of these ones that says the Nuggets just don't have it tonight. Um, and then they pull through uh, down the stretch and... Look, the the overall aggregate of uh, defensive stats are not going to tell you that the Nuggets are the best defensive team in the league. Um, my eyes tell me that they're not the best defensive team in the league. Uh, that's not a that's not a that's not a hot take. But clutch time defense is its own category, and when it comes to that, my eyes tell me that they're among the best. The very best? Nah, probably not. Among the best in crunch time. Yeah, my eyes tell me that they are an upper echelon um, defensive team in the crutch. And and the numbers actually uh, sync up with that uh, take as well. So that's super, super encouraging. Um, let's get to some of the uh, anecdotes uh, from the game on, on Monday night that allowed uh, Denver to, to win their fourth straight. Um, let me just start with uh, the Joker, who had 17 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists. Looking at Jokic's night just in a vacuum and really just being like a stat monger, just like dwelling on the stat sheet, um, it looks like that's a pretty good basketball game, right? 17 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists. You're flirting with a triple-double. I did not think Jokic played well. Uh, By his standard, uh, I'll go so far to say I don't think he played well at all. Um, Didn't look like he wanted to be out there uh, for large stretches of the game. Took eight total shots guys, eight total shots in a game that they were trailing and needed some oomph and needed someone to take more of a command. 
This, to me, reminded me of a, a Jokic game from like 2017 or 2018 when we first started this podcast. And it would be me and Earl Boykins. And, and Jokic would look like the A-plus version of himself on a Monday. And then on Wednesday, it'd be like, is he playing tonight? Like, where, where is Jokic? And that drove us nuts. And eventually, he just, uh, really in the 2019 season, just crashed through that wall and was the consistent uh, version of himself, which is ultimately what defines a superstar. It's like, there's a lot of guys in the NBA, guys, that can go get you 35. But what do you do the next game and the next game and the next game? And my rough def- definition of a superstar is when I pay for a ticket, do I know what I'm getting every single night? And with Jokic, that question has been uh, answered. But then there's still a night like this once in a while where it's like, and, and granted, guys, he's human, right? So we're not going to be the A-plus version of ourselves every single day of the week. But I thought Jokic was um, just really not up for the task. Eight total shots, which means Aaron Gordon took more shots. Michael Porter Jr. took more shots. Jamal Murray took more shots. KCP took more shots. Bruce Brown took more shots. Reggie Jackson took more shots. So he was seventh on Monday night in shot attempts. Um, Do I think that's acceptable? Only because they won, but not really when I was watching the game. Um, I thought it called for more of an assertive domineering approach from Jokic. We just didn't get it. It's all good. They won. Um, and that's ultimately the the, the large uh, uh, overarching takeaway, of course. But I don't also don't want to act like uh, Jokic was great because he you know had a Sambor double and was one assist away from a triple-double. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm banking on a rebound, though. I, I bet Jokic comes out in a big way this next game, and we'll, we'll look ahead to that uh, uh, here shortly. Um, I thought Michael Porter Jr., uh, for the most part, was terrific. I mean, I, I have a couple notes on him. There was a stretch there uh, in that uh, first half, um, that that second quarter, I, I think specifically, where he was just freaking flat-out fun to watch. I mean, we watched MPJ knock down, catch, and shoot threes, which we know he's uh, terrific at. We've saw, we saw him like doing the sidestep three, which and they mentioned this on the broadcast – MPJ is so long and has enough athleticism that when he does a sidestep three, he's covering in like real space. I think we'd be shocked if we were out there on a court, A, with just how big an NBA court is, um, if you're actually out there. But just how much ground MPJ covers when he goes to that sidestep three, um, it's like 11 feet, 10 feet. It's remarkable. We saw him cutting down the lane and, and getting broken off um, uh, with an assist on a dive from Aaron Gordon um, uh, going up high for a dunk. We didn't see that too much from MPJ six, seven weeks ago. We're seeing that more regularly. We've talked about that on previous episodes. Um, we saw like Michael Porter Jr. defensively playing passing lanes. And like he created a turnover um where like he's playing a passing lane, and because he gets a deflection, it knocks off a, a, a Raptor, and I forget who it was, and it goes out of bounds. And like Michael Porter Jr., just by being in the right place at the right time with his length and being assertive defensively and giving effort, like he stole a possession. And we're not used to saying that a lot with Michael Porter Jr., but he is becoming the best version of himself. And when we talk about, um, and, and MPJ had 14 points in the first half, he was four or five from three. When that shot has fallen, he's just so fun to watch. Um, but 
uh, we're just talking about the consistency uh, aspect of uh, the Joker and, and our desire back in um, you know 2017 and 18 and say, hey, you know, why can't we get this every night? So Michael Porter Jr. right now is averaging 17 points a game, which is like 59th in the NBA. Not worried about his NBA rank uh, in points per game. I'm worried about, not worried about, I am um, focusing on the uh, consistency portion of MPJ. And again, this has been a theme here on the Mile High Hoops podcast for the last probably five weeks. I'd say I don't think an episode has gone by without us highlighting the consistency because he's forcing us to. Like, I'm, we're, this is not a manufactured take. Like, Michael Porter Jr. is forcing us to talk about the consistent nature of who he's been in the really the entire month of February, who uh, what the start of March has looked like. And really, you can go back to, I'd say, I mean, even January. Like, January wasn't as good as February, and there was a couple stinkers in there in both January and February. He had a four-point game against Minnesota. He had a really ugly five-point um, night a couple weeks ago against Memphis where he was two for ten from the field. That was a game where Jamal really struggled, too. That was like a Friday night um, game on national TV, if I remember. Um, no, Saturday. Um it wasn't on national TV, actually. It was a Saturday, like, 6 o'clock start in Memphis where they just got beat like a drum. But besides those two, two stinkers, so you have one in uh, January or and one in February. Besides that, you're looking at double digits every single night. And more often than not, you're talking about, like, 15 points or more. Like, so just real quick, January 19, 18, 10, 16, 12, 11, 22, 16, 23. It's kind of like that. And then, and we've done this, but I want to do it again real quickly here. I'm going to skip the five-point game, okay? I'm going to skip the five-point game in Memphis. This is what February was. 17 points, 23, 22, 30, 12, 14, 17, 22, 25, 29, 17, 26, 20. Like, this is who this guy has been. So it's kind of like, you know, you bring in your homework every day, and I'm the teacher. I'm just going to, like, at a certain point, like, I'm just going to expect for you to bring in that homework. This is what you did yesterday and the day before and the day before. And you kind of put these puzzle pieces on the table one at a time. Unto themselves, they're not any sort of referendum, but then they start to create this larger picture of who you are as a player. And it's forming a really nice picture of Michael Porter Jr. And I just love it. And I'm not tired of talking about it because this guy's importance to this organization and this team's arc and the ceiling he represents, it's just so massive. Um, it can't be overstated. It can't be overstated. So that's a really, really encouraging here moving forward uh, down the back stretch and really the sprint of um, of how many games uh, uh, Denver has left. Um, real quick, uh, Jamal, uh, five three-pointers, Right on the heels of Will Barton's uh, all-time uh, three-point record for the Denver Nuggets, um, and I'm going to pull it up here. Uh, it is Will Barton, who's number one all-time with 804, and Jamal Murray now has 803. He hit five of them on Monday night. I just thought it was going to be written in the stars that he was going to make at least one more um, because Will Barton, the record holder, plays for the Raptors, and that's who's in town. So what better night to do it? I thought it was just going to be so like poetic of 
Jamal was going to match Will Barton's record um, that he held for eh, like a year um, or so, whatever it's been. Uh, but Jamal will pass that in the next game, um, I'd be willing to bet. So uh, love what I saw from Jamal. If you were building like a um, from a from a skeleton and you were going to take Nuggets players and attribute parts of the body on the skeleton uh, as the Nuggets team, I think that like Nikola Jokic is the brain. Uh, Aaron Gordon might be like the flesh and muscle on the body, but the heartbeat uh, for the Nuggets is Jamal. And we saw it on um, Friday evening against Memphis where he just becomes like the spirit animal of Denver and he's chirping Dylan Brooks and, and heating up in the fourth quarter. And it was just so fun to watch. And a game that he largely struggled for three quarters offensively, he comes alive in the fourth quarter and as do the Nuggets and they they blow out the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter. I think it was 33-17 in the fourth quarter against Memphis in the previous game earlier this weekend. Jamal Murray propelled them to that. He does it again. Um, he has a sequence where he, he, he finishes a dunk, and then the next possession, it's a transition three, and he's screaming, give me the effing ball. He's got spit flying, and he's really the only guy on the Nuggets that fits that profile to be screaming, give me the effing ball, and just mean it like it's his last breath. I mean, I just love to see it. Um, so... And then they promptly went away from Jamal, if, if memory serves. Um, but that's not really the point. Murray goes for 24 points, 9 of 14 from the floor, 5 of 10 from 3, had 5 assists, had a team-high 3 steals. So Jamal, after coming out of the All-Star break, kind of rough offensively, which is not what I thought we were going to see. I thought, like, you know, he posts during the All-Star game. You know he's got a chip on his shoulder. You figure he's going to attack, like, the second half of this year. Um, you know, obviously missed some time leading up to the All-Star break. And he struggled uh, in the first three games where he had, it was like 6 of six of um, uh, 19 shooting against Cleveland, 3 of 13 shooting against uh, Memphis, 8 of 22 shooting against the Clippers. So it was like three games in a row, it's like, Okay, like when are we going to see, you know, this this A version of Jamal or even a B plus version? Well, you're starting to see it. And it started with the Houston game uh, last Tuesday on February 28th. And we talked about Houston earlier in the season here on the podcast. Jamal feels comfortable and confident against the Rockets. And he went nuts against them earlier in the year. He went nuts against them the other night, going 12 of 18 from the floor, 5 of 10 from 3, goes for 32 points, had 31 against them earlier in the year. And that kind of was the springboard to the Memphis game where he um, scores 22 and then 24. But you look at the made threes for Jamal, and really you could just look at the attempts. Just Let's just start with the attempts. He's got 28 three-point attempts in the last three games. 28. When it comes to makes, he has made 14 threes in the last three games. So really good, really good three-game stretch. See if he can build on that uh, here moving forward. Uh, Let's talk about, oh, Reggie Jackson. I wanted to give him a personalized uh, spotlight um, it's been a little bit rough for Reggie Jackson since joining the Nuggets. I, I don't think that's a, um, 
uh, any sort of hot take. Um, Reggie has uh, just sort of struggled. I mean, against Memphis, he, he was 0 for 7. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. 0 for 7 with one single point. You know, 4 for 11 against the Rockets. Uh, 2 for 6 against the Clippers. You know, uh, a 3 for 9 against Memphis. 2 for 8 against Cleveland. So he, didn't, he, didn't, he hadn't shot even 40% in any game as a nugget. And literally in a game shot, 0%. On seven attempts. So to see him go out there, it wasn't a perfect game. You know, uh, um, had a couple turnovers. They're like, eh. But on the whole, hey, five assists, five made buckets, three for four from three, has a, a nugget high 13 points. I thought it was a good building block uh, for Reggie Jackson moving forward. And, and it's got to be tough, man. You're, you're kind of not in your own skin yet. And there's another moving part with the bench unit in, in Thomas Bryant. They're staggering someone different. It almost seems like all the time uh, with the second unit. So as he finds his way, I thought Monday night was encouraging uh, for Reggie Jackson. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about some of the anecdotes uh, from the game itself. Excuse me as I take a drink here. Um, Real quick, pet peeve. Don't know if I shared it. Sometimes forget or get lost what I share on the air on the radio show or what I share on the podcast. But... Jeff Green, who had an incredible chase down block in the Memphis game that was so pivotal. It was an all-out defensive effort play from a 36-year-old veteran. You love to see it. And it was said on the broadcast, and I thought of it again because he 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 gets a possession last night where, and I forget who broke him off with the pass. Um uh oh, it was Reggie Jackson. It was kind of an unsettled defensive possession for um for the Raptors and Reggie Jackson gets his defender up leaning off of his feet onto his toes and he shows the ball. It creates a crease for um, his teammate, Jeff Green. He breaks him off with a pass. Jeff Green, anytime you see Jeff Green take the ball and throw it right up in the air like he's doing a Statue, Statue of Liberty dunk, he's doing exactly that. He's he's going to attempt that Statue, Statue of Liberty dunk. And it's so patented for Green. He throws it, he takes it, palms it with his right hand, throws it directly up in the air. Pau Gasol used to do this too. Always did such a good job of keeping the ball high on the catch. Jeff Green does the same thing. Catch high, and he's trying to take off from his left foot, his right leg in the air. But the pet peeve, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it seems like every single time the Nuggets play on a national TV game like they did against uh, Memphis on, on uh, Friday evening. It's, look at Jeff Green turn back the hands of time. Look at Uncle Jeff turn back the clock. And it's like, hold on a second. Is he turning back the clock? Is he turning back the hands of time? Or does he just actually do this once a night? Like, if you're watching the Nuggets, Jeff Green does this once a night. Not exactly the chase down block, but he has some feet of athleticism Almost every single game, not every every single game, but almost every single game where it's like, oh my God, this guy has the springs in his legs that never went away. He's not turning back the clock. He just, he, this is just still who he is. Guys, he had a career high in dunks last year, not 2012. It was last year. So, pet peeve, I'll move on. Um, what else here? Uh, talked about the uh, Barton record, talked about MPJ. Um. Oh, really, really small anecdote. Outside of Jokic, does Jakob Pertl have the best six to eight floater from a center in the NBA? 
Jokic has the has Pat in that move, and he's just got the softest touch, like six to eight feet. You don't see a lot of centers doing floaters. Maybe we will in ten years or fifteen years as you know younger centers practice that shot because it's it's untouchable if you have the size of a center and you can master with a touch from six to eight feet. Um, Pirtle went to it like three different times. I'm a fan of Yaka Pirtle. That du- that dude can play. Like I, I I watch him through the years, and it's just like. That dude can freaking play 9 of 13 for 18 points. I thought he was really good. Um, but keep your eye on that Jakob Pertl floater. Outside of Jokic, he might be the best at it uh, in the NBA. Um, after the game, uh, Michael Malone said about Jokic's defense. He's, he's like on this def- defense um, campaign almost for Jokic. He said, if you don't think he's a good defender, you need to you know pee in a cup, saying you need to get drug tested. Are we kind of overstating Jokic's defense? Probably. Uh, he's not a bad defender anymore. That's a great place to start. Is he a above average defender? Probably not for me. Um, again, he's been the best version of himself defensively. Um, is he a plus def- a plus defender in the NBA? Uh, probably not. Will he ever be on a defensive team? No, no, probably never in his career. But like Malone keeps drawing attention to it. He's like, I feel like I'm Johnny Cochran, his defense attorney. Like, you know, this guy is, he's, he's an awesome defender. I was like, okay, you're the coach. Um, my eyes don't tell me he's an awesome defender. I've never watched Jokic. Now, now again, doesn't mean he can't make a defensive play because he made a big one in crunch time at deflection. And he's one of the league leaders in that regard. So it's sort of this like, more understated defense. He's not like blocking shots at the rim. It's not some sort of rim protector. That's not his game. But it doesn't mean that he can't be effective defensively. It's just a different way to to, to skin that cat. Um, Michael Malone was very, very um, effusive with his praise of Michael Porter Jr. after the game. He said, everything we've laid in front of this guy as a challenge, he's accepted. And he said the last month and a half, we sort of just went through it, detailed it here uh, a few minutes ago. He said he's trusted the process, he's trusted his teammates, and he said with our offense, the ball will find you. Just trust that. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't see that trust translating into games. I'm not seeing Michael Porter Jr. going to business for himself, like, at all. I I don't remember a single possession. It could have happened, maybe I missed it. I don't remember it on Monday night, and I don't remember a lot of them here in the last six, seven weeks from Michael Porter Jr. Really encouraging to on top of everything we talked about um, a little bit earlier. Um, he, uh, Michael Malone was asked about OG Ananobi, you know, the four guarding Jokic and having the center, you know, guard Aaron Gordon, almost like the Clippers did uh, recently with uh, a Batum. We've seen this before. Michael Porter Jr. or Michael Malone, rather, saying he's just too smart. He's going to find ways to beat that. You're going to see it in the playoffs. He's like, but we've seen it over the last 60 games. We found ways to get comfortable with it. Um, we've seen this be problematic in the past. I just don't I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue here moving forward especially over a 7 game series where Jokic is just now like a he has his like MD in diagnosing defenses no matter what you throw at him even if it throws him off for a game maybe two I think over a 7 game series his next level intellect will kick in and I have uh, a lot of trust in him in that department even on a night where I didn't think Jokic uh was 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 very good um or very great. I said he was he was fine, just to his standards. That's 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 the lens in which we're judging him. Um, okay, 
uh, winding down here, uh, talked about Nuggets uh, maintaining their strength and control over that number one seed. They're now 46-19. and 19. Like, is this team going to break the all-time wins record? I think it's 57, I want to say. So 46 plus 19 equals 65. 82 minus 65 means that there's 17 games left in the season. They're going to have a shot to get there. Do I expect them to get there? Eh, maybe not just because of the cushion that they have and the luxury that they'll have to load manage guys down the stretch of the regular season. So, But they'll be flirting with it just because they play the right way. And in general, um, they play hard and just have like great, good basketball integrity. So I think they could get there really without even like making that their aim, you know, they're not like, oh, we're going to break their... I don't, they probably don't even know what it is. Um, but they could get there, um, not on accident, but just by waking up and being who they are. 30-4 uh, and four at home, winning record on the road. That is going to equal uh, a massive, uh, massive season. They're well on their way. They're going to clear their win total with like two weeks left in the season that Vegas put out there for them. Uh, the initial number I remember talking about in the preseason was like 48 and a half. It's like three wins from now. So, I mean, it's freaking... It's, it's, it's the first week of March, so... Uh, just just wild. Um, let's talk about uh, real quickly on the way out here, games uh, on the horizon. Next, at the, at the time of recording, it is a Tuesday morning, March 7th. Um, and the next game is going to be against the Chicago Bulls. That is on Wednesday evening at Ball Arena, 7 o'clock. Again, playing in Denver, man. Pack a freaking lunch. Pack a lunch. I... I I'm, I'm not going to say that the Western Conference playoff um, path is going to be easy. It's going to be bumpy. There's going to be losses. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. But, man, beating this team four times in a two-week period when you don't have home court advantage, what a task. Uh, and then they uh, won't play until Friday at the end of the week in San Antonio, who is um, on any given night the worst team in the league along with Houston. So, uh, all right, guys, we'll leave it there for now. Um, if you are listening to this podcast uh, on Spotify or somewhere where you can rate, give us five stars if you think we deserve it. Tell a friend. That's the most organic way to, to grow this podcast. We appreciate you being here um, as always. And whatever happens on Wednesday night uh, against the Chicago Bulls at Ball Arena, you already know we're going to be talking about it right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.